Um, as Pastor Jonathan says, my name is Susan Butler. I'm a member here at Harvest Point, and I lead PPI on Wednesday nights. And on Wednesday nights, we've been studying women of the Bible, along with the sermon series in the mornings. And um, he asked me if I would speak uh, today, and I said, sure, I'd be, I'd be honored. Um, first of all, I'm a broken, sinful vessel, and... I'm just pouring it out for you today. Um, he asked me what woman I wanted to talk about. And there were two that came to mind immediately. One was Esther, and the other was Ruth. Well, you know, Esther was a beautiful woman, and she was chosen to be the queen. And she ultimately saved the Jewish people because she was chosen for such a time as this. And I think about that this morning when I think about what happened in that synagogue yesterday. God bless those people. Our prayers are with them. But I chose Ruth because I felt like that Ruth and I had a lot in common. Or I chose the book of Ruth because I felt like the women in that Bible, in that story, and I had a lot in common. Um, I don't know if you know this or not, but in July of 2017, my husband Mark um, had a fast-moving infection in his left foot that ultimately resulted in a below-the-knee amputation. Well, that's not news anybody wants to get. You, you don't want the doctor to come and say, look, we've done everything we can do, there's nothing else, we're going to have to amputate your leg. So at that point, we were devastated, we were completely speechless, we were aggravated because just on Thursday, this is on, on Monday, just the Thursday before, we had been told, well, you know, it looks bad, but it's not as bad as it looks. Okay, well, maybe it really was and somebody could have done something sooner, but that's neither here nor there. But at this point, we were totally defeated because there were no other options. So we went forward with the procedure, the surgery went well, and we spent the net better part of the next few months recovering, learning how not to fall out of the bed, learning about all the new contraptions you have to use to make a stump get to the point where you can actually get it fit for a prosthetic. Um, and by the end of the year, he was back on his feet again. So we were both really encouraged that, okay, things are looking up. You know, this has been a tough time for us, but, you know, we've turned the corner and, and this is just going to be a short season in our life. Well, shortly after that, he developed a blister-like callus on the top of his bone, right below his knee on his left leg, and he could no longer use his prosthetic, so he had to use one of those knee walkers. You know, you put your knee on there and you hold onto the thing and you scoot yourself around on the wheels. Well, it seemed like that that was going to make uh, transportation or mobility easier for him, and it did, but you can't use that without using both hands. And so that was frustrating for him. It was a hard time because, you know, like you, you can't carry your soda in one hand and balance with the other. It's just not something you can do. But even though it was a frustrating time, he maintained a really good attitude, and he pushed hard to do the best he could to make um, a bad situation a positive one in some ways. I, during this time, 
and I'm going to try to tell this part without crying, I was drained. I was physically exhausted. I was spent. Spiritually, I felt at an all-time low, and I just felt totally hopeless. So in May of this year, I developed an E. coli bacteria, and I spent five days in the hospital. During those five days in the hospital, laying on my back, I'm the one that should be up taking care of him. I'm the one that's the cheerleader. I'm the one that's the one that gets things moved forward. And here I was, flat of my back, hopeless, crying out to God for a miracle. During my hospital stay, I felt like the woman Naomi in the Bible. She had experienced extreme times, difficult times in her life. She lived in Bethlehem of Judah, and her husband and her, Elimelech, decided to go to Moab with their two sons because there was a great famine in their country. Now, this is in the time of Judges, as I said, but it happened to be when the Moabites and the Israelites were getting along. So this was not a dangerous place for them to be, uh, not as dangerous as it could have been in other times. So they go there hopeful that they're going to find food and they're going to find, you know, something good to come out of this in their life. So here they are with their two sons in Moab. And, you know, the Moabites, they had a complicated history. If you don't know how Moab was formed, do a little research on your own. But it's kind of a complicated situation how Moab even came to be. So here they are, thankful and hopeful, and then Naomi's husband dies. So shortly after that, her two sons die. But before they died, they had each taken a Moabite wife. So here's Naomi in a foreign land with no husband, no sons, no grandchildren, and no hope. Have you ever found yourself in that place where you felt hopeless? Maybe it was when you lost your job. Or maybe it was when your marriage failed. Or maybe it's when someone you love very much died. You probably felt some of those same things that Naomi felt and that I felt and that Mark's felt. Defeat, devastation, aggravation, the feeling of being totally overwhelmed. It's a terrible place to be, but at one time or another, I think we've all been there. We, like Naomi, are all just looking for something to work out, for a positive to happen, for things to turn around for us. Thankfully, eventually, Naomi did hear some good news. Naomi had heard that the Lord had replenished the food in her homeland, so she makes a decision that she and her two daughter-in-laws are going to return there. So Ruth and her daughter-in-law, Ruth is one of her daughter-in-laws, Orpha is her other daughter-in-law, so Naomi and these two ladies decide that they're going to travel back to, their, to her homeland. As they're getting ready to go there, Naomi turns to Ruth 
into Orpha in Ruth chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, and says, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you if you've shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She kissed them both, said goodbye, and they all cried out loud. Imagine what these three women had been through. They'd all lost their husbands. They felt hopeless, yet they still clung to each other. Naomi encourages them one more time to go back to their parents, go back to your mother's house. She says in Ruth chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and we gave birth to a son, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against us. That word hope, that's the very first time in scriptures the word hope is ever said. The word hope shows up right there for the first time. And clearly, Naomi didn't have much hope at this time. She felt hopeless, and one of her daughter-in-laws, Orpha, decides that she's going to turn and go back and stay with her mother's family. And so one more time, Naomi's left with one less person in her life. Now it's just Naomi and Ruth. She tries to encourage Ruth to turn and go back as well, but Ruth says, no, ma'am, I'm staying with you. In Ruth 1, 15 and 16, she says, and I know you've all heard this, a lot of times it's used this at weddings, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. When Ruth shares this with her, she's making a covenant, and she's making a confession. She's making a covenant to Naomi to never leave her, that she's going to stay with her until she dies. But she's making a confession that she is now going to serve the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Naomi, not the God of the Moabites. So they start on this journey that's going to take them seven to ten days. It's only about 30 miles. And that doesn't seem like such a far distance to travel. But you have to remember that it was a terrible time. It was very chaotic and it was very dangerous now. And so two widows traveling together without a male as an overseer or a covering for them would be very dangerous. They would be easy prey for the robbers that would hide in the bushes. You have to remember there were no street lights, no paved road, no security. No rest stops along the way. They had to cross the Jordan River, and they had to climb a 2,000-foot slope to be able to get back to her homeland. Sounds like a pretty hard trip, especially considering how dry and dusty and treacherous the terrain was. But they were determined, and they made it back. And when they got to the gates of Bethlehem, all the women in the city were there, and they were all shouting out to Naomi, is that Naomi, is that Naomi? Oh, Naomi has come back home. And Naomi says to them, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasantness or sweet, but call me Mara, which means bitter, because once again, Naomi had given up her hope. 
This roller coaster of life that Naomi's been on, she was hopeless and then hopeful and then hopeless, was going over and over again in her life. When I got out of the hospital after having the E. coli, I thought, okay, good news is on the horizon. I'm well, he's healed, we're doing lots better. In July of this year, he was on that scooter I was describing. He fell, broke his right hip. So he goes into the hospital to have a hip replacement surgery the next day. About 10 days later, we go to the doctor, the surgeon. They check everything out. They said, give us the thumbs up. Give us an appointment for three months out. And we thought, woohoo, we have turned the corner. Good news is on the horizon. That night when we got home, the incision started bleeding so profusely that I couldn't stop it. We had to call an ambulance to transport him to the hospital to find out the next day that he had a blood clot behind the incision that had ruptured. So once again, another surgery. That surgery was to clean where the hematoma pocket was and to clean all the hardware to make sure that it didn't get infected. About 10 days after that, um, he says, look at this incision. It feels a little warm to me. We go back to the doctor. Turns out he has a MRSA staph, not just in the incision, but all the way to the hip joint. Third surgery. This time they have to remove all of the hardware and start from scratch as if it was the original surgery from when he broke his hip. You can imagine how we felt. In the midst of all that, it's easy to stop being hopeful and just to begin to be fearful. Fearful of what's going to happen next. Fearful that the next thing that happens is going to be worse than what's already happened. And I imagine that Naomi probably had some fearful days in her life as well. So when Ruth came to Naomi and said to her, um, I've met one of our family members, Naomi was like, uh, tell me more. She said, well, I was in a field gleaning, and I found out that one of our kinsmen owns that field. Well, there was a law that said that if you owned a field that was being harvested, that when your harvesters went through, whatever they dropped, they had to leave. And they did that so that the poor, the widowed, the fatherless would have a place to come and to gather grain or gather uh, the stuff to be able to take to make it into grain. They find out that not only are they related to this person, but that he is potentially their kinsman redeemer. He is the one that could redeem Ruth and Naomi from all the bad things that had happened in their life and give them a future and a hope. She finds out that the man's name is Boaz. If you remember last week, uh, Pastor Jonathan talked about Rahab, the prostitute in Jericho. Rahab happens to be the mother of Boaz. Boaz 
When Ruth finds this, when Naomi finds this out, she says in Ruth 2.20, May the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Now, some translations say guardian redeemer. Some say kinsman redeemer. During that time, a kinsman redeemer was a male relative who, according to Old Testament law, had the responsibility to act on behalf of the relative who was in trouble, in danger, or in need. And in this particular case, it would mean that he would marry the widow or marry the widow of the male relative to perpetuate that family lineage and whatever property that that person owned. So Ruth tells, so Naomi tells Ruth in Ruth chapter 3, verse 2 through 18, Now Boaz, whose women you worked with, is a relative of yours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. And when Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you, he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer of our family. Let me explain that when you spread the corner of the garment over you, that is a request for marriage. It is a request for protection. And at this particular point, it was a reminder to Boaz that he needed to do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. All right, picking back up in verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a kinsman redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do this, his duty as your kinsman redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. That day, Boaz went to Ruth's relative. And the way they would do it in that time is they would meet at the city gate. That was the place where all the business was taken care of. So he goes down to the city gates and he waits for that relative to show up. He gets ten elders as a witness and he says to the man, you are the kinsman redeemer of Naomi. Do you want to redeem Elimelech's land? And he said, sure, I'll do it. And then he said, oh, by the way, you don't just get Naomi. You also get her daughter-in-law, Ruth. And he said, oh, well, if that's the case, I can't do it. He takes off his sandal and he hands it to Boaz, which was the way that they sealed the deal was by transferring their sandals. So Boaz then became the kinsman redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. Boaz and Ruth get married. 
And even though Ruth had been barren for the 10 years that she was married to Naomi's son, she conceives a child. And when he was born, they named him Obed. He, um, Boaz was selfless and devoted to Ruth, just had Ruth, as Ruth had been selfless and devoted to Naomi. So when he was born and they presented him to the town, the people of the town said, May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. And Naomi, like a good grandmother, laid Obed in her lap and she cared for him. Well, that's how that story wraps up. From hopelessness, to having a son or a grandson that's going to perpetuate their family lineage. Well, to me, Ruth is unforgettable because it helps me see the signpost of grace that God puts in our lives all the time. And it helps me to remember that I need to look for the signpost of grace that God puts in my life. You know, Mark went to the doctor on Friday um, to follow up with the surgeon. And during all of this healing process, he's had a pick line, which is an IV line that you can get IV infusions at home. He's had a wound vac, which helps to heal the incision from the inside to the outside. So when we go on Friday, we were very hopeful, but at the same time, we had made that trip before and didn't know what the outcome was going to be. Praise be to God. The pick line is out. We have a date of November 7th for the wound back to be removed. And so truly, we have hope on the horizon. The doctor was completely amazed. He was actually thrilled. And, and I was... I, I was shocked at his reaction to how good the incision and everything looked. I mean, he just kept saying over and over how pleased he was. But I can declare to you today that I am not bitter. I am not hopeless. I am a victorious child of the Most High God who heals and redeems. Sometimes it's hard to see what's going to be on the other side. Sometimes we don't get to see it at all, but in this case we did, and so did Naomi and Ruth. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're hopeless or if you're hopeful, if you're apathetic or if you're agnostic. But I want you to hold on to hope. Because Ruth teaches us that God is concerned about everyone. He is no respecter of persons. He doesn't care about your race. He doesn't care about your nationality, your financial status, whether you're male or female. He loves us all just the same. Peter said in Acts 10:34, of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. And again, it's said in Romans 2:11, for there is no respect of persons with God.
Ruth was not a Jew. She was a Moabite. And even though many discriminated against her, God loved her just the same. He loves everybody the same. And we are all one in his eyes. Romans 6.10 says, For the death he died to sin once for all, all. For the life he lives, he lives to God. That means God is concerned about you. God is concerned about me. There is no such thing as an unimportant person in the eyes of God. Not many people thought of Ruth as being an important person. She was a poor widow from Moab. She was living in a foreign land, far away from her birth family. But God had an important plan for Ruth and that she would become one in the lineage of the birth of Jesus Christ and the grandmother of King David. God's plan typically involves using people that are considered to be underdogs or unimportant. But what I want you to think about is that if God is calling you to do something in your life, don't wait. Because God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. So if there's something on your heart that God is asking you to do, step out in faith and take care of it. And finally, God has a Redeemer who rescues us from our hopelessness and sin. Just like Boaz redeemed Ruth, and saved her from a pain of the pain of life, of suffering, and of hardship. God has a redeemer for our life too, and his name is Jesus. You see, we are all desolate as a result of our sinful natures. We are empty, just as Naomi was empty. And we're devastated because at some time or another in our life, we have loss. Our sins render us empty and desolate spiritually. But Jesus is willing to redeem us because he loves us. <clears throat> he is kind and he wants no one to perish. He wants to restore my hope. He wants to restore your hope. He wants to rescue us from the penalty of our sin. And still, all we have to do to be rescued is to call on him in the name of Jesus and ask to be saved. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in the last year, Mark and I were in the hospital. These cups were always at the bedside. Water and ice, handy to keep us hydrated. Now when you look at that cup, you may see it as half full. Or when you look at that cup, you may see it as half empty. But the best part of this cup is, it's refillable. It's always refillable. God wants to refill you, whatever your lacking is. Is your lacking hope? Is your lacking health? Is your lacking some provision? Do you have a wayward child? God wants to refill all of those things for you in your life. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and for this time together. 
Thank you for this place where we can come to worship. Thank you, Lord, that you are our Redeemer and will not waste our pain. Thank you that we can be assured all things, not some things, but all, will work together for good for those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Thank you for restoring our hope. Thank you, Lord, that you are producing in us great endurance through the hard places. You're building spiritual muscle. We press in close to your presence today. And no matter what obstacles we're facing, we choose joy. Lord, thank you that our hope abounds through Christ. Nothing in the world can bring us hope and peace, just like what you alone can offer. Thank you that you understand our trials and you care. Through our own struggles and pain, help us to be your vessel to offer comfort and strength to others who are hurting. We thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.